0: That's the real superpower of anxiety is that it is the trigger that tells you wrong track, things are not right, attend to this. When you listen to anxiety in that way, it can actually be your North Star. It can be the thing that steers you to a better life. If you try to shut it down and medicate it, you'll stay in the same place because you're not actually heeding the warning signs and doing what your body's trying to tell you.
1: Welcome to WellBeings. My name is Dominic Bowden and look, i got to say, I've been a fan of this week's guest, Sarah Wilson, for many many years. Uh, so I was really excited by the opportunity to sit down with her in Sydney, Australia, earlier in the year. I guess she's most famous for the international phenomenon, I Quit Sugar, which sparked a movement that really has helped millions in over 130 countries and has made her a household name around the world. But since then, man, the world has got pretty complex. Climate change, loneliness, the question of how do we live more sustainably, and, and that's nothing on the last few years. But is now on a mission to help us find a way back together, to find a way to connect us back to what matters, to the life we feel we ought to be living. The result, her new book, This One Wild and Precious Life, A Hopeful Path Forward in a Fractured World. And i got to say, I just love this conversation. Sarah's obviously an amazing writer, but this, for me, it almost feels like the guidebook that we all need right now how this communal experience that we've all been going through could be the exact thing that brings us closer together than ever before. If this is your first time listening to WellBeings, welcome. If you like the show, please feel free to subscribe and connect with us. We love loving putting it together and it would mean a lot. And now, this is Sarah Wilson. But just before we start, here's some words from our sponsors.
2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoted for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Sarah, honestly, it is so good to talk to you. Uh, I think that... The books, and, but all the work that you've done, but this book in, in particular really landed on me, I think, as a Kiwi, but as someone who has been going through this experience of the last two years, just as a human, you know, this book, that it, and it really just reminds us how important it is to put a bit of intention in our life, right? It, you know, you talk in the opening chapter about that crisis Of connection. So maybe let's start there. I mean, how do you define that um, connection crisis that we're all in right now?
0: Yeah, I describe it as a type of loneliness. I think over the last couple of years, we've been really struggling to work out what is the thing that we're feeling because we're feeling so many things. And of course, that then turns into an overwhelm that then causes us to stall and kind of get numb to things and we sort of just go and squirrel away and consume and try to pretend it's not happening. And I think that, um, and, and, and many commentators have referred to this loneliness. And this was sort of happening prior to the whole COVID pandemic thing. It was stemming from the climate thing, and then of course it all escalated over the last couple of years. And I was writing this book, of course, Dom. You know, as all of this was happening, it was happening in real time. You know, I had to write part of it as Australia was on fire, and then of course in lockdown and, and all of that kind of thing. But um, it's a very specific type of loneliness, and you refer to this idea of connection and. We've really got to ask what is it, and I asked this when I was writing the book, what is it that we're feeling disconnected from? And it's, of course, we're feeling disconnected from each other in many ways. There's a lot of polarisation and fragmentation (laughs) happening at a political level and interpersonal level. Um, But I don't know that that's the real core issue. If anything, we're more interconnected, if you know what I mean. Like the bulk of people listening here are probably feeling they've got too many humans coming at them where the real loneliness sits is that we feel lonely from ourselves. So we feel disconnected from a relationship with ourselves, but we also feel disconnected from nature and also what I call the matrix of life, like the meaning, a sense of meaning, a sense of uh, our belonging, a belonging to something larger than ourselves. And that's happened over the course for a number of years, and I pinpoint a number of things that have led to that. And and so here we are just feeling very disconnected, and we feel it as a loneliness. We feel it as anger, fear, frustration, guilt, a lot of guilt and shame, I think, because we know we're complicit in this. We know the climate crisis is caused by all of us. and um, And so, yeah, and of course, you know, as I said, it turns into numbness and overwhelm and inaction, which then just feeds all the other emotions. So I think I think that's where the disconnection sits.
1: So not a real small topic to tackle in a book, right?
0: Oh my God, no. I, I really don't recommend anyone tries to... I mean, my father called the book um, Sarah's book of everything, <laughs> because literally it's about everything. It was an overwhelming task. I was fully in that overwhelm with all of these feelings happening as I wrote the book. So if that adds some authenticity to it, then great.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think, you know, and, and, and in reading and I know, you know, the working title at one point was Wake the F Up. And I think, if anything, to me, I just try as best I can to be kind to myself because I think we put up so much pressure on, our, on ourselves. We don't take into consideration this environment that we're in, this technology that we are tethered to, but also just the, the world has got so, it's just sped up. And, it, and it's in Fast Forward, and we're trying to make sense of it all. And no one knows the answers because this ne- we've never been here before. So just on a personal level, a, as you were going through and, and, and creating this, this great book, like, how have you grown? How has it shaped you from, because you've had such a great career. I mean, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you, you know, you're just such a powerful voice in Australia, and, and obviously a huge fan base in New Zealand as well. How did this book shape you for the next chapter of your life?
0: Oh, yeah, um, massively. Every time I write a book, I go through almost a leapfrog in development, you know, and in some ways I think I write the books to do that because I know that I need to go through some growth. The previous book, this one, um, First We Make the Beast Beautiful, which was a book about anxiety and exploration through sort of my own anxiety, um, I mean, that took me seven years and that... That really got me online, fired up, centred around dealing with my anxiety. It's a bit like writing a book about not eating (laughs) sugar, right? You kind of have to not (laughs) eat sugar. You write a book about anxiety, you kind of have to get your act together, you know, because you're talking it, you're speaking it, and you've gone into the space where you've really tried to understand the nub of the problem. And it was the same with this book. It took me three years to write. And I would say that um, I've matured, I've I've reached a level of adulthood. And as you know, I think it's the second last chapter. I think it's, you know, and now we grow up or now we become adult. I should actually remember the names of my own chapters. But um, that very much is what happened. You know, I went through all kinds of personal stuff and um, that was happening during the book. And I went down into the dark depths of my own soul. I went, I did a few dark nights of the soul writing that book and I had to really grapple with taking responsibility and that there was no one I could blame. There's nothing like facing the climate crisis to get you very aware that you can't blame anyone. There's no one else to blame but ourselves. And so we now need to engage and fire up and and do the adult thing. So yeah, it, it changed my life massively. I now feel like I can probably tackle almost anything that comes my way. It's a little bit like I say to life, you know, game on, throw it at me. Like I'm ready for it because it, 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 it's like any existential crisis, right? When you've looked down the barrel of a gun or you've faced, you know, the dark night of the soul, or you've seen what's over the, the edge, Um, You can't um, unsee it, and so you must form a philosophical framework, you know?
1: One of your superpowers as well is finding things that people really respond to. I mean, mean, you could go back to 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 the quit sugar movement and kind of go, people were searching, as they are now. You know, I guess when you went down that rabbit hole all those years ago, I mean, obviously you didn't anticipate it would become what it did. Was it the same sort of itch that you were scratching? It was just that, you know, journalism inquisitiveness? You know, when you think back to there, there are similarities.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. It is a very similar process that I go through for each of my sort of passion projects. It's generally something that people are asking questions about. and They're generally met by social structures that say, get back in your box. No, everything's all fine here. So the the sugar industry was very much controlling the scene, you know, Mm -hmm. 12, 13 years ago when I first started doing all of that work in the sugar space. Um, And so people get very overwhelmed and lost and feel like, am I on the wrong track here? And what I've always tried to do, and as a journalist, you know, one of the best things you can do is write Words that other people read and they go, that's exactly what I was thinking. I could have written that myself, you know, and they recognize themselves in the words. And I'm fine for that. Like, yep, sure. I only took, you know, seven years of my life to write it. But if you think you already had that thought, great. Um, but that's, that's the aim. It's to capture where people's pain point is. And that's it. I mean, um, I mean, it's no big secret because my book, this, um, First We Make the Beast Beautiful is about the fact that I'm, you know, I have bipolar, I was diagnosed when I was 21. And so part of having a you know, mental illness, if we want to call it that, is um, you become very sensitive to other people's pain. You can feel it, smell it, hear it. I pick up on it, and so it becomes so loud. I feel like I've just got to go down rabbit holes until I can find a solution for everybody. And I've been like that since I was a kid. I have just been like this. It's like, oh, you've got a problem. Let me go and investigate (laughs) it, and I'll come back to you with a full report. And so, thankfully, I always be able to. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, until you, you know, until you get reports from me at you know three in the morning or something. Um, But. Yeah, so then I found a career where I could actually, you know, write books uh, Mm. for people um, to that effect. But you're absolutely right. I pick up on where there's a growing itch and there's a sense of just angst and friction and then I go, all right, what's going on here? And, you know, that's the wonderful thing about social media is you get that feedback in real time and you start to see a pattern, you know, and then you go, all right, there's something here, I need to go there.
1: First of all, I want everybody to read the book. But more than that, you know, it would be great from this conversation for people to come away with things that they can put on in their own life, they can try on for size. So let's just start with anxiety, because to me personally, it feels like such a new word. When I was nervous starting out in my career, right, you know, I've got, you know, butterflies in my stomach and, you know, um, but that's good. You know, that's just what's to be expected. Nowadays, oh, I've got chronic anxiety. Everyone says it and they're, they're self-medicating this verbiage has become so much more, you know, commonplace, right? And so just when talking about the science of anxiety, you know, before we go to some actionable steps that people can take, you know, what surprised you or just bring us into to this epidemic as well of, of, of anxiety as this yeah. word that we just throw around?
0: Well, we've got this idea that there's an epidemic of anxiety, as you say, particularly among children when you talk about this epidemic amongst children. And I looked into this, in fact, Anxiety hasn't actually necessarily increased, although this was pre-COVID, um, you know, over you know, in the last 40 years or so. But what has changed is a lack of resilience to discomfort, including anxiety. Hmm. And so what we're really facing is a lack of resilience epidemic. And that's just as real, just as painful and problematic. But that does mean that we tackle the, the problem in a different way, we need to start kind of building up a resilient muscle and part of that is actually to reframe anxiety away from it being a disorder and seeing it as, you mentioned before, a a necessary response to things but also a response that can enliven uh, enliven us. So so in our brains, the way that we um, translate excitement, it, it uses the same pathways as anxiety. And so we do have the opportunity and it's one of the hacks that I include in the book is to when you're feeling anxious is to say to yourself I'm currently excited. And I have to do that all the time before I do a podcast myself or you know any kind of any kind of thing that is a little bit, you know, high octane, yeah. I have to say to myself I'm excited, cool, rather than shit, I'm anxious, I'm going to collapse in a heap, you know? And that's a choice that we can make and our brains respond accordingly. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a very much, we've got to have a different discussion around all of this. Then we can treat it differently. And, um, we can actually, you know, as I say in the book, many times we can be anxious and have an incredible life as well. We don't have to wait till we're fixed the anxiety because we shouldn't be trying to fix anxiety. We need to modulate it. We need to get a grip of it. We need to reframe it. And then we need to use it, you know, and So we don't have to wait to eradicate it all or to eradicate anxious circumstances to get on with an awesome life. And as we get on with things, the anxiety becomes part of it, can lead you. I mean, that's the real superpower of anxiety is that it is the trigger that tells you wrong track, go back, you know, things are not right attend to this. And so when you listen to anxiety in that way, it can actually be your North Star. It can be the thing that steers you to a better life. You know, if you try to shut it down and medicate it, you'll stay in the same place because you're not actually heeding the warning signs and doing what your body's trying to tell you, which is like danger, get out of here. It's not good for you. You know,
1: it so connects to the, the, the word you used before, which is discomfort, right? People get into discomfort and they freak out at some point some point along the way discomfort you know we we want our houses to be superheated we we want everything to be exactly as it is you know no uncertainty and then of course COVID happens and that's out the window right and now we're all just living in this perpetual state of discomfort and you know one of the things you touch on which I think is so great is almost this discomfort that we're all having it just it connects us you know the anxiety communally is this great bonding thing, which I think is just such a trip, even as a phrase that, you know, our communal anxiety is what brings us closer together. It's, it's a trip, mm. you know?
0: Yeah. And I kind of, I, I mentioned that because I think we feel very um, unsettled by the fact that, you know, we know people who've gone down conspiracy theory rabbit holes and then there was all the Trump stuff that was happening. It's like, how can people vote for Trump, you know? And so there was this there was a lot of this like, I feel so alienated from the rest of the human race. And the point that I make is that we're all feeling uncomfortable. We're all going, something's not right. We're just reacting in in different ways. And when you start to view it that way, you see, oh my God, we are actually united. And that's the basis that we can come back to. That's what, we can, that's what we can work from. That's the nice, kind, compassionate place.
2: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
1: You talk back to the career that you've had. I, I can't imagine the amount of people that have come to you along the way and said, you changed my life, you saved my life especially when you're talking about something like sugar which genuinely you probably did save people's lives right but what are people saying with this book you know, what what are people coming up to you and saying mm. this landed on me and and maybe what's surprising you
0: yeah well i actually had to go to a australian retailers association lunch the other day and i was running late because i come from doing a podcast. Anyway, I missed the bit where the big CEO got up there and said, I read Sarah Wilson's book and it's caused me to set up this big, you know, um, transition to sustainable practices within Australian retail. And so it's this big sort of thing now. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer to miss, you know, a rare moment where someone tells you that you had some big impact. But anyway, I waltzed in just as he'd finished talking about it. The point is he actually told everybody that the book really scared him. He said the first half of the book I was deeply uncomfortable, which was part of my aim because it's a bit part, you know, like throwing somebody in an ice bath. You know, I'm like, all right, come on, let's start the process of getting resilient. Uh, You know, step one, face the truth. You know, so I think um, a lot of people felt very uncomfortable. They say to me, "I didn't. I felt really horrible reading it." But then, of course, by about third of the way in, I move into the hopeful path. You know, it's which is the Mm. subtitle of the book. And so I think people then start to realise this is all doable and this is exciting and it's a new way of living that's outside the current framework, you know. I mean a big part of what I had to do in writing that book, Dom, is to go, all right, I have to make this. And this comes from being the editor of Cosmo back in my late 20s and early 30s, um, which was, of course, the Cosmo that you got in New Zealand um, as well as, you know, Australian New Zealand edition. It was that I had to make this new way of being, we've got to make, a climate activist need to make this new way of being sexier and more charming than the status quo. So it's not about going, you know, we've got to make sacrifices. Come on, everyone, you know, go and eat some cabbage, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I very much got committed to trying to make it as charming and beautiful and enticing, you know, because that's the only way we're going to get the change. So, and a lot of people, yeah, I think a lot of people are making the changes and feeling inspired by it, and a lot of people have taken up hiking. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was going to say the big thing for me was was nature, and you know, living overseas and then coming back to New Zealand, you're like, "Whoa, we got good nature here, right?" And then you look at the science, oh, yeah. right? And the science is so wonderful to kind of know that we can medicate ourselves by just going out into nature with with the intention of 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 being amongst. You know the the trees and and, and and basically just being outdoors. You know your take on nature. You know because you you went on quite a a journey, right? Travelling the world and hiking. But before we kind of get to touch on that, I just being in nature. What does it mean to you? How how much does it change you for the better?
0: Yeah, um, I mean for me, nature. Um, without it, I just would not be. I don't think I'd be here, mm. you know. It's my ballast. It's what I have to keep going towards, and and really, it's been pretty difficult, I've got to say, the last few years because we had the bushfires in summer, we had um, pandemic and lockdowns, and then we have had floods. Mm. You know, all the national parks here are shut because and you can't go camping. You know, um, so I, my sort of healing medicine has uh, has been difficult to access, but you know, I have found my ways, but. Um, yeah, for me, a really big part of I think the motivation that I think will work, the secret thing that could get us to to save this one wild and precious life on this planet is that we as humans will fight to save things that we love. If you think of the 50-kilo mother who can, you know, cars run over her child and she can actually lift a car, however many tons they weigh, um, off her child and it's like, how the hell does that happen? But this is what we as humans do. If we love something hard enough, we will fight to save it. And so a big thing that we need to do is remind ourselves of how much we love this planet, you know, and that entails going into nature. And the thing about nature is we intuitively know that we feel quite good when we go to the mm-hmm. ocean, you know, a beachside holiday, we always come back feeling better. We go for a hike. I've never had a hike I haven't loved. People say, what's your favorite hike? And I'm like, the next one, sure. you know, like, they're guaranteed to work. And that's the thing about nature. And I, um, in the course of researching the book, I learned that there are about 40,000 plus studies to show how being in nature, does a whole range of things, a bunch of health markers from, you know, helping with heart disease, ADHD, anxiety, happiness levels, productivity levels, all of that kind of thing, 40,000 studies. I didn't read them all, but I read a few You don't have to read any of them because I paraphrase them in the book, but you know, there's so much evidence that shows that just you just have to get into nature and it does its work, Um, and I I think that that is the real secret. You know, anyone listening out there, you know, we've got a weekend, you know, you've got a weekend coming up. Just get out there into bushland, and in New Zealand, of course, it's just everywhere, and just be in it, and it it's a salve for so much. Um, So. Yeah. I mean, I can rattle off a couple of the studies, if you like, as to, you know, um, my favourite ones as to why yeah, nature works. I, I would, would love you be interested? to. Yeah, yeah. interested? just
1: something. I love it. I lo- I'm, I'm I'm, so into the sort of forest bathing side of it as well, right? I mean, I yeah. am so interested in doing stuff with intention and being out in nature. You know, it feels good, but to know that there is science is, is, is powerful.
0: Yeah. Well, look, there's a whole heap of technical ones about the chemicals that trees release, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, having a, a sky, um, even studies that show that when you work within a room with a high ceiling, it actually leads to expansive thoughts. But when you're out in nature with nothing above you, you know, mm. um, it can do incredible things. But one of my favorite ones is it's as simple as we emerged onto two feet as humans and developed the brains that we have at, at roughly the same time. Um, through the process of walking. So walking developed and essentially it's very much attuned to discerning thinking. So that's why there's that sort of whole kind of culture of walking meetings. We actually think more clearly, we have more discerning thoughts when we're putting one foot in front of the other, because that, the discerning part of our brain emerged as we became, you know, people on two feet, not four. I mean, it's a wonderful thing, right? The perfect rate for rocking a baby to sleep is at the average pace of the average woman walking, you know? So, so much of our constitution is lulled and comforted and also inspired by walking because that's how we evolved. Um, The other thing I really like is the fact that um, our, that much of nature is made up of what's called fractals, these repeated patterns. If you think of a fern frond or the petals on a flower or the, the rings in a tree or, or whatever it might be, you know, shells and so on. And when we're in nature, our eyes, the retinas of our eyes are also made up of fractals. And what happens is there's this congruence when we see similar patterns. And in our brains, congruence is experienced as a sort a form of bliss. And it basically creates in us a sense of, wow, all is okay in the world. I belong. You know, and they've done. Te- I mean, I'm paraphrasing in sort of yeah. layman's terms here, but that's essentially what some studies have shown. Um, that that recognition, that congruence. I love the word congruence. You know, um, so there's there's sort of two of my favourite. There's countless others, but yes.
1: To connect that to you know, part of the experience of, of writing the book, you know, you travelled around the world, you hiked in some of the most incredible places, but you did it more or less. Covid was kind of happening, and so one of the few people that kind of got to experience. COVID around the world, which is like, I don't know if that's something to to be happy about, but but you, different communities, I I, I don't know, we we feel, I feel anyway, like there there is this connection that we are getting through this shared experience, it's this great equaliser, but what, what was the experience for you like to do the COVID around the world experience, you know?
0: Just to, I mean, I actually didn't do the COVID experience. Like everybody else, I've been shut down. What happened was I'd written the book, I came home and uh, was about to send it to the publishers in sort of March, February, March, and, of course, COVID hit. And um, I just said to my publishers, this is big. I need to just sit it out for a few months. And so what I was able to do was to go and hire a cabin up in the forest in sort of northern New South Wales, and I just went up there and just witnessed it all. So I was talking to people overseas, I was um, watching what was happening in the news, and I rewrote the book through the lens, wow. you know, of what was going on. So, no, I was I was stuck like everybody else, um, <clears throat> which was good because I think it actually made it all very real. It created a stillness, you know, and, of course, there were climate ramifications that were happening amidst all of that and the parallels between the climate crisis and a global pandemic, uh, you know, are very obvious. Um, Mm. So, no, unfortunately I I, I am, though, heading off for the first time. I'm travelling for the first time in a couple of weeks, so I'll be heading off overseas. And my commitment is to only travel once every three years but to go for a good chunk of time and then use rail um, you know, hiking, etc., to get places as opposed to flying. But um, so it'll be my first experience, and I'm quite nervous.
1: Yeah, I think there is a, there's a nerve and an anxiety even in, in flying to to to, to meet and, and do this interview now, right? There's just this anxiety of am my tests going to be okay? Am I going to am I going to something going to happen? You know, and, I, and mm. even the flights are going to get cancelled. There's there's a lot of that. I think the travel anxiety is is very real.
0: And also, how is the rest of the world going to receive me? How is the rest of the world receiving other humans? That's sort of also really important. I think there's a lot of cultures that are feeling very injured, mm. very exhausted and delicate. I know? think it's a
1: real powerful thought as to, you know, we see ourselves as the main character in the story, right? And and, and to, to, to have real empathy and think about where am I going? What have they been through? You know, I'm, I'm yeah. going to Italy and I want a nice, you know, Italian meal but let's just pause for a second and think about the last two years for these guys that have been going through the same wild experience Mm. as us.
0: Absolutely yeah yeah yeah. I kind of like the idea that the world is feeling vulnerable because I think wonderful things happen when people open up in that way.
1: New Zealand it is isolated, you know, kind of like Australia, but even more so, right? That's why people love it, I think. Um, and and I think a lot of all, people also thought, hey, you guys handled that really well. Man, it would have been great to be in New Zealand. But you know, I can speak from the experience that a lot mm. of people going through it, a lot of mental health issues, a lot of loneliness, especially like in the elderly, you know. And it's it's why something like this, you know, this book and, and, and the movement that you're again creating, you know, it's just amazing. There's another movement that you're you're pushing forward. To the people out there that are still in the middle of that grief or that loneliness, you know, what, what would you say to them is the most important learning that you want to kind of get through today?
0: Mm, um, well, one of the things I think um, what often helps people is to recognise why something's happening and that it's perfectly natural and, and appropriate. It's an appropriate response. Um, so there's been studies that have been done by the, you know, the health Secretary, or whatever it is in the US, um, Dr. Vivek Murthy, And he did some, he wrote a book that was called Together that came out just as the pandemic hit as well. But it was perfect timing for his book. And um, this is Surgeon General, is the correct title um, under the Obama administration. And, you know, he did studies that found that when in, in a time of crisis, we are actually programmed to go and reach out to other humans, you know, and, um, and bunker down together. And that's really primal in our DNA. And a pandemic, of course, where we're asked to isolate, goes so counter to every single little bit of Nerve ending in our body, you know, Um, it was it's deeply wrong and uncomfortable for us to be isolated in a time of threat, and so it's no wonder so many of us have been suffering because even though you might be rationalising it and trying to go, well, it's only this and that, and I can cope. There's something primal going on as well, and so I do like to remind people of that that that's valid. You know, your body is you know, at a visceral level is reacting. Um, I would also encourage people to, to go and connect in whatever way you can. Connection begets connection and it just means taking some risks. We're going to have to uh, go to the edge a little to get ourselves out of a closeted kind of thinking and we need to actually reach out to each other and we need to reach out with activism and care and fight for any political stuff that we lost in that pandemic. There are a bunch of things that happened. You know, we went backwards on a whole heap of climate policy. Mm. Um, There's a bunch of things that have happened where we just need to get back on grid again. We can't go into this in a flaccid kind of way. We also can't think we're going to go back to normal because there's no such thing as the old normal anymore, Mm. and it's going to get more uncertain, more unpredictable as as time goes on because of the climate crisis. The world is going to get even more shaken up. And so the sooner that we can build that resilience, the sooner we can understand in a compassionate way what's going on with other humans, the better equipped we will be for each other to handle what's ahead. And it could be an exciting time. It's going to be dynamic. We're going to have to go to our edge and it's going to involve being very uncomfortable. But, you know, I've got a whole chapter called Go to Your Edge and I talk about the virtues of it and all of the incredible thinkers and speakers, philosophers and creatives who talk about the absolute importance of humans going to your edge, not hanging, hanging onto the tree trunk where it's nice and comfortable, but going out to the outer limbs and taking risks and putting yourself out there because the world is going to need that going forward. So as we start to open up, Embrace it. Don't go slowly necessarily. Really start to really be okay with discomfort. We've got to have a different dialogue around that to be able to cope and to be actually leaders and the adults in the room for our children. Yeah,
1: look, Sarah, so good to talk to you. Um, I, it's so good to see people like yourself speaking with passion, speaking with so much enthusiasm. And I think, you know, you talk and you mention other people that are releasing books and it's just the perfect timing. It's people are ready for this and they're searching for this. And it's yeah. just, that, that must be one positive for you is just like, it, it just feels it it, it it is so needed. It's just so landed, you know. I, there's so many people mm. in my life I want to give this to, and I know that they're gonna, they're not gonna eye Thank roll you. and be like, "Oh, another book," you know. They're gonna True. be, yeah, actually cool. Where I think even five years ago, two years ago, you say vegan or meditation or certain things, and people are like eye rolling. But people are open now, and I think that's the most important yeah. thing: is to to get.
0: Well, I certainly you know, feel less lonely. Yeah. You know, like I felt very lonely in all of my pursuits for many, many years and I think sometimes that's why I write a book. It's my way of going, hey, guys, are you feeling this? And, yes, you're right, people are starting to really come online and it's fun. It's fun to see everybody getting the pennies dropping and now we can fight for what we love. And what a great thing, what a great way to spend your life, Yeah. you know.
1: Well, look, we love you down in New Zealand. Obviously, great work in Australia and and, and around the world. Uh, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for all oh, that you're my doing. My pleasure.
0: Thank you. And I'll, I'll see you up in New Zealand soon. Um, I'll be over there hiking or mountain biking pretty soon, I reckon.
1: We'd love to have you down there uh, and certainly uh, keep up the incredible work. I'm, I'm sure you've got something up your sleeve coming up soon, so we can't wait.
0: Yes, there's something in the pipeline. <laughs> all right. Lovely Thanks, to Sarah. speak to you.
1: See you see later. You, So there it is, an amazing conversation. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. I want to thank Sarah for giving us some time and her book, which I would highly recommend, This One Wild and Precious Life, A Hopeful Path Forward in a Fractured World's Out Now. If you enjoyed this interview, please feel free to give us a review on Apple, where you can also listen back to past episodes of the show. And if you don't want to miss anything, please subscribe. And connect with us at wearewellbeings.com and wearewellbeings on all socials. Thanks to everyone that made the show possible today, especially our producers, Hello Television. And of course, thank you for being a part of it, supporting the show and the community. And we'll see you next time.
2: Hold up.